2: Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today.
1: A great Brazilian team. Doubt! It's
0: there! They're ahead!
2: It's one of the biggest sporting events in the
0: world.
1: And today, we're giving you an inside look at the teams and playoff pictures to date.
0: As we present Atlanta Soccer Tonight. It's up here now. The goalkeeper's been- Listen as Jason Longshore gives you all the latest in the world of soccer
1: As we break down the matchups and get you inside you can only find here
3: the
0: Atlanta Soccer Tonight is on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game
2: Here's Jason Longshore Let's kick it, Atlanta soccer tonight, live on two nine. The Game and the Odyssey app. Thanks for hanging out with us on a Wednesday night after the Hawks crush the Orlando Magic. I'm Jason Longshore alongside Jessica Charman. And Jess, Group C today gave us drama all the way down till the very final kick. Argentina comes back after losing the opener. They win the group. Poland barely, and I mean barely barely holds on to advance to the knockout round
4: it was a wild wild afternoon of games it taught us a lot about the tiebreakers we made sure we knew what we were talking about we got a lot of learning in and looking at yellow cards fair play it was a wild afternoon and I think that as you say Poland scraped through by the skin of their teeth and they don't have very much momentum Going into the knockout rounds.
2: Poland were horrible. I- I'm sorry. <laughs> Poland has been horrible in this tournament and they were gutless today. We're gonna talk about them. They their their goalkeeper was busy. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, trying to find something positive about it.
4: Hey, Karol Swoderski got to play. Charlotte FC fans were happy about that, but just for 45 minutes. It just seems like they were making poor decisions off of the bench. And as you say, Chesney was on fire, though. Let's give him some credit.
2: I'll give him credit. Uh, Tiago Almada also got to play. Atlanta United fans are going to be very happy about that as well. Argentina was in cruise control pretty early in the second half. They got the opener early there. We'll dig into Poland. Um, When people ask, do you want to start with the good news or the bad news? I generally like to get the bad out of the way and end on something good. So we're going to go in reverse order here. The other part of the Group C story is the failure by Mexico to get out of the group. Uh, They were expected to. It was really, I mean, it was kind of a toss-up between them and Poland, but most people had Mexico finding a way to get it done. They had progressed out of the group stage every time they had been in the tournament since 1978. They missed out in 82. They were suspended from the World Cup in 1990. They've been looking for that fifth game. They've been bounced in a round of 16 so many times they don't even get to the round of 16 this time. Our old friend Tata Martino, he told the reporters after the match that his contract ended with the final whistle. He will not be back for the Mexican national team. There's a lot to unpack for Mexico from this tournament and honestly from the Tata Martino era that ended in failure.
4: Tough pill to swallow for Tata Martino, a guy that obviously has had a really good legacy, but this was a struggle for him. I think that before you even look at Tata as an individual, though, it's a cursed job, really, with the pressure that comes with it. It's a difficult job to end up in. You're not maybe given as much support and resources as our friend Antonio Ramos got into in yesterday's podcast, and it it was always going to be difficult for him. I think the biggest issue, though, was a little bit of stubbornness in terms of trying to constantly lean on experience rather than embracing the youth, embracing some youngsters. We've seen so much success of young players already in this World Cup and how the gamble can pay off when you give young players an opportunity to shine instead of always relying on the veteran players that are maybe past it. You look at Belgium as an example of that. They need a bit more youth in that team. And I think with Mexico, we're seeing that they just didn't necessarily have the right tactics at times in games, as we know against Argentina in particular. And they just lacked, I don't know, they just lacked clinical play. They lacked a little bit of everything, honestly. And I think the biggest thing though for Mexico is to remember today wasn't when Mexico got knocked out It was the results against Poland. It was the results against Argentina. Today was just the cherry on the top, but I think they were pretty much set up for failure already before this game began.
2: Yeah, when you go back and look at Mexico in this tournament, uh, the Poland game was a toss-up. That was their toughest one. That's what started the tournament. That's a little bit unlucky from a scheduling perspective. It is what it is, but in this tournament with getting players together late, you'd like to have a game under your belt before you have that kind of game. I thought the tactics against Argentina were were pretty woeful, um, mm-hmm. way too defensive. And when they got going, when they opened up after Argentina scored, they looked pretty good. They looked good today when they were wide open and going forward, especially when the goals started flying into the second half. They're not the team that they were before Raul Jimenez had the awful injury to his skull they're not the same team um he's not the same player he also came in with a different injury into this tournament chicharito should have been called in um (laughs) we don't know the whole story and i don't think this was purely tata martino's decision i don't think he's got a vendetta against chicharito there there's an incident that has been talked about with chicharito going back to the previous regime so is that keeping him out? Is it something else? Is, is it politics? And there's a lot of politics in the Mexican Federation. People look at soccer in the U.S. and all the politics around it, and there's plenty. It's nowhere close to how it is in Mexico because the club owners in the first division in Mexico, the Liga MX, they're the ones who really run the Federation, which means they run the national team. They're not always looking out for the federation or the national team's best interests. They're looking out for their, their wallets. They're looking out Mm -hmm. for their business. So it's, it's very complicated. And there have been times in Mexico's national team history where that's really gotten out of whack. Now, one time in the past, when that happened, Mexico made some rules at the league level to really promote bringing through young players, playing them, getting them valuable minutes. Mexico had a great run with youth national teams and the U-23s at the Olympics. It hasn't continued, and you're at a point now where you have veterans and you have unproven kids. Tata Martino is always going to lean to the veterans. He always has. We watched it here in Atlanta. He did it with Argentina before that. That's his MO. That's what he (laughs) trusts. That's how he coaches. Well, you're going to have to do something different now. And I mean, there's already talk about Piojo Herrera coming back into the job. That would be crazy. Hugo Sanchez, I'm sure, is holding a boombox outside of the Mexican Federation offices right now trying to get the job because he's always trying to get the job back. That would be crazy. Uh, there's probably five other coaches who have previously been the national team coach who are trying to get the job. I'm sure Vucic is, is hanging around somewhere. That would all be crazy. They've got to look at somebody different. That doesn't mean they have to go outside of Mexico, mm-hmm. but they can't go to a retread at this point. They're going to be co-hosting a World Cup in three and a half years, and that process starts right now for Mexico.
4: It does. And I think the fans are desperate for it. We know Mexican soccer fans are extremely passionate. You saw it in the stadium, the disappointment, the heartbreak. The expectation was high and it was just very underwhelming. You, do you see the quote from um, Achoa though, that he'll be back for another World Cup?
2: Memo is ageless. I, I think <laughs> it's the power of his hair. He, he has wonderful hair. He's going to have more shampoo ads, I'm sure. Um, if he ever starts losing his hair, he'll have to retire.
4: That's when it happens, right? That's the last leg for him.
2: Yes, that's when it's done. Um, He finds that Superman cape every four years, so I'm not putting it past him. Memo Ochoa was not the problem for Mexico in this tournament. Um, Chucky Lozano was not the problem for Mexico in this tournament. He had a good tournament. Luis Chavez is now a star. Uh, If he wasn't before the free kick goal today, he should (laughs) have been. He Mm -hmm. has been brilliant with Pachuca in Liga MX. He's 26. He will be in Europe. I believe it would not shock me if the January window is very kind to Pachuca's wallet and to Luis Chavez's wallet. He's been brilliant in the midfield. Um, I mean, other standouts, Edson Alvarez is a player that, you know, I I think of very highly. He's at Ajax, uh, can play in the back, can play as a holding midfielder. He's got a bright future. Uh, Henry Martín has somebody who hasn't really scored much for them. He's had opportunities. He got one today. Uh, Cesar Montes in the back. He's got Gallardo. These are guys that, you know, okay, they stepped up a little bit. The the older generation of Guardado and Herrera probably done at this point. Memo being a goalkeeper, he might be able to go one more cycle. We'll just have to (laughs) see. Um, But it's going to have to look really different. And I think the coaching side of it has to look really different. If they hire a retread.
4: It's not good. You've got no. to move on. I think that sometimes people cling on to history, right? They cling on to what's familiar. And you've got to take a gamble and restart. You, there's not very much of a core that you can hold on to at this point. You need to find some fresh blood. You need to really sort things out because you don't want another Qatar performance as a host nation. We saw how embarrassing it was for Qatar getting knocked out you know, so early in the group stages, Mexico will not be okay with not making it out the group when they're playing on home soil. That would be just the worst imaginable situation.
2: No, uh, fracaso. Uh, that would be an absolute disaster if if that happened. And look, I mean, if you're Mexico right now, and we're going to get into the rest of the group in our next segment and talk Argentina and talk Poland and and project ahead a little bit. Um, if you're Mexico right now you're the number three team in CONCACAF flat out. And I don't think that's ever been the case. I, I I don't think that has ever happened in the history of this game that Mexico has been the third best team in CONCACAF U S and Mexico have been back and forth over the years, really <laughs> since 1991, when the U S beat Mexico with the gold cup, it's been back and forth. Each one's had their runs, but Canada is right there there's more people talking about canada in a positive mm-hmm. light after this tournament than mexico maybe a little bit unfairly because they've been very naive as well mm-hmm. but the us forget it they, they got to the next round canada's not mexico's not They what can... a
4: chip. what a chip on the shoulder that's going to put on the mexicans though do you know what i mean like that 100%. is a very bad thing when you're prideful you're used to being the stars of concap you're used to being the soccer nation right people connect soccer with your country more than maybe they do with the US and Canada. That's not the case anymore. Everyone's seeing the growth in the US and it's a great thing for the CONCACAF region though. You want teams to be knocking on the door. You want teams to be improving because that's how you get better, right? Because this should put a fire under Mexico and improve them over the next three years because they have to if they're gonna regain that name of being one of the strongest in CONCACAF.
2: It should but we've also seen many times when this has happened they've looked to the past to try to make it back there instead of canada's not going anywhere they're young you got to look into the future you got to look behind you with costa rica very young group starting to break through for them the veterans are going to make way and then the rest of CONCACAF is growing as mls has grown You know, there's more options for players to play. You're going to see Honduras. You're going to see Guatemala. You're going to see Jamaica. You're going to see all of these countries, Haiti. You're going to see all these countries start to push. Mexico's got to get it right. It's critical for them in the next cycle. We're going to come back in five minutes. We're going to talk about the rest of Group C. Argentina wins it. Poland is second. They're both advancing to the knockout round. We'll look at what's ahead for both of them when Atlanta Soccer, ret- Atlanta Soccer Tonight returns on 92.9 The Game and the Odyssey app. Bye.
3: You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It's soccer,
2: it's soccer
0: on the world stage. And Jason Longshore has it all covered with Atlanta Soccer Tonight.
2: On Sports Radio 92.9, The Game. Welcome back, Atlanta soccer tonight, live on 92 9, the game and the Odyssey app. We got to finish up everything in Group C. We've, we've talked about Mexico. They've got a lot of work to do, and they've got to get this higher after Tata Martino right. Poland's got a lot of work to do as well. They have not looked great in this tournament, but they did enough to get through. Um, I just saw a headline about Poland's performance today, and it said that they advanced by playing jabroni soccer. I <laughs> kind of tend to agree with that because this was gutless. This was meek. It was just bad um, to the point they're counting yellow cards to make sure they're good. We'll, we'll talk about that in a second. Um, I got to get your thoughts on the penalty that was given to Argentina as a member of GK Union. I'm sure you have thoughts about that.
4: Very, very, very strong thoughts. And listen, letter of the law. I've seen Uncle's, I've seen her tweet. I've I did not her see
2: tweet. her tweet. What did Christina? Where she to said, say about it? Of
4: course it's a foul. The goalkeeper makes contact with his face. And I saw the explanation from the pundits where they said, Well, yes, it was a good point from Clattenburg. If it's with their feet, yeah, it would have been a penalty. But it we always been. treat goalkeepers differently. We do. We always treat them differently. <laughs> there is always Of unwritten rule that there's going to be physical contact. There's going to be, you know, I don't know. There's going to be challenges like that in the box. And I feel like before VAR, no one's given that a penalty. I don't think they are. I really don't think, yeah, yeah, in the run of play, it's not going to be given as a penalty. If they're going to consistently do that, we're going to see more penalties for stuff like that, because I'll tell you, there have been many a time that I have punched a forward in the face. There have been many a times that I have need a forward trying to jump for a ball and not got it, you know? And I guess, letter of the law, these are fouls. But I don't want to see that coming into the game consistently because goalkeeping is already hard enough. It's kind of like my frustration with the rules about goalkeepers coming off their line for the penalty. I get it. But you've already got such... A disadvantage there if you're looking at it in matters of millimeters you're already making what is a difficult job even harder I don't like the foul I'm glad Messi had it saved not because I don't like Messi but I feel like karma came round. and as I said the ball doesn't lie Jason
2: they say ball don't lie and it didn't in this case um, I, I hate the conversation that we get sometimes from referees about referee decisions you don't have to tell me obviously it's a foul or yes, it's a foul or by the letter of the law, it's a foul. We, we know that. We know that part. This is a gray area. Now Clattenburg is right. And, and I liked his way of putting it better than anybody else because it's right. We see it sometimes given as a penalty when a defender slides through catches an attacker after the shot is, is gone and a penalty is given. The difference is, and Mark Clattenburg is not going to throw the referee under the bus here. He's he has a little bit in this tournament at times, so I mean, I'll I'll give him some credit for that. But the difference is the amount of contact, and in this, it wasn't very much. If if it had been an elbow, yeah, okay, then we're having a different conversation. Just like if somebody comes across and it studs up, then obviously, if they come across with hard force and catch somebody late. Uh, Atlanta United got a penalty in 2021 after a Brooks Lennon cross for something like that, where a player came through very forceful Mm -hmm. after the ball was delivered. That, okay, that made sense. This was not forceful.
4: Do you sometimes feel these are sort of challenges that are like soccer challenges, right? The nature of the game, kind of those Mm -hmm. coming together that are going to happen. And I get with refereeing, you have to have specific letter of the law you have to have specific definitions but sometimes I think calls are made by people that haven't been in those scenarios that haven't worn the gloves of the goalkeeper and things like that you saw in Chesney's reaction right he had a little chuckle he was baffled he had a little chuckle and he felt good about saving the penalty and what was the stat Messi became the first or second second player to miss two penalties in the World Cup
2: yeah. Um, but also in nineteen eighty-six, Diego Maradona missed a penalty in the third game for Argentina and they went on to win the thing. So people are, are looking at that side are of it. Are
4: you foreshadowing something here, Jason? Hey,
2: I'm just saying this is this is in the, the it's on the social media. It's on the bird app. That's what people are talking about. So keep that in mind. Um I, I what I wish would happen in these situations is the governing body, or in this case, the whoever's overseeing it. Let's get Pierre Luigi Kalina out to talk about it. To come out and say, yes, letter of the law, a penalty can be given there. However, we don't want a penalty to be, to be given for that level of contact. Then mm-hmm. we know where the line is. That's all we want. Um, it ultimately didn't matter because Argentina got a goal early in the second half through Alexis McAllister. Then they get another one from Julian Alvarez and Argentina ends up winning the group. Now, what got interesting in this (laughs) where we're counting goals, we're counting goals against, we're counting yellow cards for teams because there was a long stretch where the second place team in the group was going to be Poland over Mexico. Not based on points, not based on goal differential, which is the next tiebreaker, not based on goals scored, which is the next tiebreaker, because that was even not based on head to head because it was a scoreless draw, but based on FIFA fair play points. And just in case it comes up later Mm -hmm. in the tournament, you get four points for a straight red. You get three points for a second yellow that turns into a red that it's just three points. You don't get extra points for the yellow. And you get one point for every yellow. This came down if that had stayed, it ended up not being the the deciding factor. But if that had stayed, Poland would have went through because they had two fewer yellow cards. That's that's how even it was. That's better than what it used to be. I was asked on Twitter about what how things used to go, and I've I've seen the drawing of lots. There was yeah. a, a group in 1990 where. I think everybody, or no, there were, there were two teams tied for second and third. They were both going through because third place teams got through at that point mm-hmm. if they were at a certain level, whatever. And it was just to decide who went where, and it was drawing of lots. You go further back; they've done some crazy things. They, they've had playoff games, they've had replays. They played in 1954 extra time in group matches to try to have a winner.
4: I take that though. I would. Over over at least the drawing of lots, I would take it. I I saw a tweet talking about the fact the stadiums were four miles apart. They can go for a midnight penalty shootout. I think it could be discovered using the ball. I think the fair play, okay, I get it. It's an important part of the game, right? I think it's harder in this tournament because of the way it's been instructed to be refereed in terms of Uh, yellows being used Mm -hmm. to stamp on authority because it hasn't been done completely consistently and maybe we're seeing more yellow cards than usual. So now this fair play thing is looking even more difficult, you know?
2: It's better than going to drawing of lots at that stage. Anything is
4: better than that. Like that should be eradicated. There has to be something you can do with the ball. I don't care. Keepy-uppy challenge, dizzy penalties, anything that involves a soccer ball above drawing a block. <laughs>
2: a keepy-uppy challenge on Zoom in case the the teams are on opposite sides of the country and can't soccer get... Soccer
4: tennis. Together. We can do some soccer tennis. Well, we you got to have them
2: close money. though. We're not going to have... A, we can't have a, a soccer tennis matchup in Kansas City if the two teams <laughs> that are separated are in Atlanta and in you know LA next time around. So... We got to figure that out. The worst tiebreak I've ever heard of, and I found this out today. This was in qualifying for 1954. Spain and Turkey uh, played two games. They they both finished even. They didn't go to goal differential or any of that at this point. They didn't get to play a, a third game to decide it after the the or after the sorry the playoff game was tied. So after that, they don't go to penalties. What they do is a 14 year old kid was blindfolded and no. picked the name out of a hat no,
4: no, no, no. you're messing
2: no i'm not
4: who is that 14 year old kid was it like a charity thing that he got selected i, for I don't know or?
2: he picked turkey out of the hat instead of spain so he's probably not very well liked in spain after that but yeah that happened that was in qualifying for 1954. luckily no blindfolded kids were involved in this group um Saudi Arabia pulled one back, and it wasn't over for Mexico at that point, though. If they had scored, they would have went through on goals scored, and they didn't get it. They had a couple shouts. They had a couple scares late, but they weren't able to pull it off. Argentina wins the group after losing game one. We've seen that happen where teams are losing game one in this tournament and advancing. Argentina got to win the group. Senegal wasn't able to pull that one off what do you think of argentina after seeing them in these last two games
4: i think that defeat was a wake-up call honestly i think it may well have been one of the best things to happen to argentina in terms of waking them up preventing any complacency we know the win streak or the unbeaten streak that they were on right and sometimes it's better to have that unbeaten streak broken early on and then you can start rebuilding your own momentum i think that argentina's in a far more favourable position and say Poland, who's now going into the knockout round after getting through on a loss. There's no momentum there. When you get beaten, you get embarrassed, you get shown up on the field and then you have to play again. Like, I just think it's wild, honestly, based on that performance and they don't deserve to be in that round. Argentina, looking quality. They've got great players on the pitch. They've got good chemistry. They look like they're finding a bit more of the stride. They, They never looked in threat against Poland. You know, they never looked like Poland was going to threaten them. I don't remember a good save Emi Martinez had to make in goal at all. And I think that just shows that they were dominant in possession. And honestly, if I was a Mexico fan, I'm not going to lie, it would have frustrated the heck out of me watching that last 20 minutes once they put their foot off the gas and were just enjoying playing the possession. It looked like a game of keep away. If you were sat there rooting for Mexico, you'd have been begging and begging that they tried to penetrate because they had more goals in them without a doubt.
2: Yeah, they did, but they didn't need them. And Poland really had no interest in doing anything else either. So, yeah, that one kind of saw itself out. One person who came in a House of Fire was Thiago Almada. I almost ran over Lionel Messi at one point because he was <laughs> wanting to take a shot at the top of the 18. Didn't quite come off. He looked lively. It's awesome to see him get his debut. Um, He's going to be a mainstay for the Argentine national team. Enzo Fernandez is about the same age. He needs to be a mainstay right now. He did get the start today. Uh, Julian Alvarez got the start over Lautaro Martinez, and he needs to continue to start. He just gives them something different. Um, I don't think the game one was a wake-up call. I think, if anything, it was just a reminder that they can play well and still get beat at this stage. And they... You go back in that game. We went through all the offside decisions that went against them. I mean, you're probably like seven centimeters away from winning that game four nil at halftime. You know, mm-hmm. it's just it's it's one of those days. I think the response, they looked like they were feeling the pressure a little bit against Mexico for a while. Then they started to play their game and knock the ball around in their way. And this is a team that plays a little bit differently than, than some of the other heavyweights in this tournament. They're trying to create individual moments. They're trying to create 1v1s. Uh, It it is positional play to a degree, but they will keep possession in the final third and recycle and recycle and recycle and recycle until they get what they want. And the second goal, uh, Julian Alvarez showed that. It was a 27-pass sequence. Lionel Messi did something today, too, besides missing the penalty that hadn't happened since uh, Diego Maradona did it in 1994 in his last World Cup game oldest player on record to create five plus chances and make five plus dribbles in a World Cup match. The last one was Maradona against Nigeria. The last game he played before he tested positive for doping sanctions in that game and he was uh, banned from the rest of the tournament. I don't think Lionel Messi is going to be banned from the rest of this tournament. He's going to need to continue playing at this level and I think it's starting to grow. Group D didn't go as anyone expected either it had its own drama today we'll be back in five minutes to talk about all of that as atlanta soccer tonight returns on 92.9 the game and the odyssey app
1: okay picture this it's friday afternoon when a thought hits you
0: of soccer live with jason longshore and the man from the back. this is atlanta soccer tonight on
2: sports radio 92.9 the game soccer tonight back on 92 not the game and the odyssey app we're here throughout the world cup every night during the tournament breaking everything down and now we're getting ready for the round of 16 coming up Really, really quickly on Saturday, USA and Netherlands. We're going to dig deeper into that before we go tonight. But, just Group D, it wasn't supposed to go this way. We Senegal and Group A lost game 1-2-0. They found their way into the next round. Argentina lost their first game 2-1. They found their way into winning their group. Australia lost their first game 4-1 to France. And they're going dancing in the round of 16.
4: Those celebrations, Jason, were like no other. Watching the Aussies on that pitch celebrate, watching the fans. There was just something so special about it because they were the ultimate underdog. And I think we saw how heartbreaking it was for them against France to take the lead, to do quite a good job early on, and then just crumble. I think that's how we described it, right? We said they crumbled. We said that almost getting that goal didn't give them confidence. They ended up looking worse after scoring a goal. They were able to make amends with that and they've developed across the tournament. They've grown together and they handled this game very, very well against the Danish. I thought they did exactly what they needed to do. They were kings of the counter-attack. They really were able to defend well. Uh Mattie in goal had a fantastic performance, I might add. He was here, there, everywhere, flying across the goal. And, and they look very very good i was impressed with the way they played jason
2: i'm sure our friend liam curran was uh, with the kids yelling aussie 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 oi 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 all day after that if you haven't seen the videos from australia where i think it was 3 30 in the morning yeah, yeah. um insanity it, it, that seems like a place that you'd like to be there when their national team does something because wow <laughs> Um, Australia is the third team in World Cup history to concede four goals in their first match and get through. Uh, it was not pretty at all at halftime and at the final whistle, Matty Ryan completed and attempted more passes than any Australian player. You want a glimpse of the uh, possession numbers. There you go. Passing accuracy was under 70%. It was bad, but They didn't really care because they got what they needed. A brilliant counterattack. Denmark had to win. They had to push things forward. But the timing of all of this was really interesting. So we take a step back and we look at the group as a whole. 58th minute, Tunisia took the lead on a completely rotated France side. Mm -hmm. That put Tunisia into the round of 16 at that stage. 58th minute. The games were supposed to kick off at the same time in each half, but this is the organizing committee that couldn't even get the opening kickoff of the tournament timed right with the nope. stadium PA guy. <laughs> so like the Mexico and Argentina games, they were off by, like two and a half minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if the Australians knew that Tunisia had scored and they had the score to go through. I don't know if they knew that it sure looked like they did because it was two minutes later and Denmark pushed everybody forward. They're creating an opportunity. They've done well with their possession in this tournament, but the goals have not come and they had a turnover at the top of the 18 and it was a quick, perfectly timed counter for Australia and Matthew Lecky gets it done. A player that we've talked about on the show, a player that is that guy who can flip the field for them and make something happen when you're not going to get a ton of opportunities lecky puts australia into the next round
4: it was a perfect transition they moved with speed they had the right pass and it wasn't an easy finish for lecky but he made it look easy with duking the defender slotting it in fantastic under that much pressure to be able to find the back of the net i wonder if denmark will regret the fact they gambled so heavily putting everybody up you sent me a picture and they had all 11 players pretty much up in you know, the attacking third, they took a risk. Yes, they needed goals. They needed a win. But at the same time, when you've still got 20 plus minutes left in the game, maybe you saved quite that risk a little bit longer because you made your mountain that much bigger to climb once you conceded the goal.
2: It's tough. It's tough to decide when you let loose and go. And I think Denmark has had a really frustrating tournament um not just because i picked them to make a run to the final or anything uh but they have i don't think they've played horribly in the tournament i i I think their their defense has been pretty good their midfield has been pretty good they're moving the ball from the the defensive third to the middle third pretty good final third hasn't been there they haven't had that focal point in the attack. They haven't looked dangerous in the attack, maybe outside of the response to France going up 1-0 on them. They didn't look dangerous in game one against Tunisia, a really good defensive team. And they didn't look dangerous today against Australia, a really good defensive team. It was a, a tough group, a tougher group than we expected. Tunisia and Australia were, were much more difficult to deal with. And Denmark never really got going at all in this tournament.
4: It was sad at the end, watching the players go over to their fans and trying to show their appreciation because you just saw the look in these players' eyes and this wasn't how they expected it to go. I think they felt quite good about their team going into this. They felt quite good about the personnel, as they should. They've got a lot of quality on that pitch, but they just weren't able to get it done and look, you can defend all you like, but you need goals to push. You need to be able to finish those opportunities because you can't see games out nil-nil all the time. It's not going to work for you. And I think they had a couple of opportunities, but their finishing wasn't there. They weren't clean enough. They weren't clinical enough. It, It honestly looked like they were so nervous in front of goal on some of these opportunities that were far easier than they made them look with some big misses and some opportunities where... You know, I think the goalkeeper made a couple of very good saves for Australia, but they were shots that should have never been able to be saved by the goalkeeper in terms of the range they were at.
2: Yeah, credit to Tunisia in this group as well. Uh, They made a fight of it. Wabi Kazri got the goal, fifth consecutive goal he's been involved in for Tunisia. Going back to the 2018 World Cup, he's the first African player to score in three consecutive starts at a World Cup. Uh, again, going back to 2018, they they did what they do. They came in. They defended well. Um, they took advantage of a heavily rotated France team, and they beat France today. They did everything that they possibly could, but they weren't able to get the result they needed against Australia. And that's really what it came down to for them. So they go home. Denmark goes home. France wins the group. Uh, they did have to rotate heavily today. Didier Deschamps talked about it to French radio afterwards, and he said that some players were at risk talking about injury, and we had just played in two high-intensity matches. Uh, it allowed the substitutes to see the difference in quality in a World Cup match. Killing Mbappe is one of those, uh, dealing with an ankle issue, going back to his time with PSG before the World Cup. They've played 24 Players, That's the first time that's ever happened because usually it's a 23-man squad. William Saliba came in and he was the 24th member of the squad to play. Um, Does that worry you at all about France that they had to rotate so heavily? There's concern about some injuries going forward and the rotated guys in today didn't look that great.
4: Yeah, I think it's a signal that maybe the squad depth isn't quite where they would like it to be. And their squad would have been deeper if they hadn't lost so many people uh, pre-World Cup. Because those people that were starters that would have been in the squad would have been your starters. And then your starters now may have been on the bench. So I think they've struggled a lot with injuries, as you say. There's something in that camp that is really causing difficulties for them. Nonetheless, if you flip it on a positive, yeah, they didn't get the job done. But at least they were exposed to World Cup minutes, at least they're exposed to a competitive game, you're now going to be bringing in subs that at least have minutes under their belt before. And I think that that is a beneficial thing, but the Mbappe injury concerns, I mean, and I know it's out of precaution. Yeah. But you're still worried that he's not feeling 110% because right now he's the player that France has been looking to to bail them out and, and to really be the leader there to finish the goals.
2: He's looked 110%. So I I think it is total precaution. We'll see. Uh, They play Poland in the round of 16 as the bracket starting to take shape. Uh, Poland's going to sit back. They're going to ask Wojciech Czesny to make 10 saves. Um, They always have Robert Lewandowski up top who can can ruin your day really fast. And in a knockout game, that's not the kind of player you want to see on the other side. I've always felt like when you get into these games, Jess, you... You need a couple things to go your way, obviously, in a knockout game. But you need to have a player who can either keep you in a game. And that can be a defender. That can be a goalkeeper. And you need a player who can win you a game. Poland has that. Both. Yeah. They, they haven't looked good in tournament. But Chesney can keep you in a game. And Robert Lewandowski can win a game. They could be dangerous.
4: Yeah, I think the other thing is that they're going to be a team that feels almost lucky to be there. I think they're going to look back and realize that, hey, we didn't play our best football so far. Hey, we have struggled in times. And maybe that's going to be what motivates them now. It's almost like this one got away, right? We didn't show what we can do in the group stage. Now we've really got to show what we can do in the knockout round. We need to beat the best. To compete and you're getting an opportunity right now to make a statement against the France side I do think it's going to be encouraging to them even though I know it was a heavily rotated squad it's good to see that they're not invincible it's good to see the teams have scored goals even in the Australia big emphatic 4-1 they did concede a goal and these are things that give an opponent hope they give them a little bit of motivation and I think that on paper listen we, and if Poland plays the way they've played during the group stages France will have no issues I'll tell you that But if Poland is able to get this group together and play like they played in some of the qualifiers and in the Nations League when they were playing well, then they could be more dangerous than we think.
2: I don't think France keeps a clean sheet in this. I I, I don't trust them defensively. I think their attack is brilliant, but I don't trust them defensively. And that could end up being something that comes back to bite them. So on that side of the bracket, France and Poland, England and Senegal. You're getting a little worried about Senegal, aren't you?
4: <laughs> that was private information, Jason. Ah. I'm very confident. I don't want to be show people that I have these worries, but no, ah. I am. Uh, I, I don't I don't like it as a draw. Uh, I don't. I think that Senegal's got a real fight about them. I think they've got a real belief about them. I think they've got quality on the pitch. We know what Sar can do at this level. We know what he can do against English audiences and English teams. And I think England has been hit a miss honestly I think that we've had the best England that we've seen but we've also seen some very not good England and it depends who steps up and shows the way they can play the one thing that does give me hope is the fact that we have a lot of experience over the last two big international tournaments in knockout games we've managed to get to a semi and a final so we know how to handle these moments but I think that there's a lot of English people back home just how they did against the US it's funny that they don't learn their lesson but They are overestimating themselves against the Senegal side and maybe not giving the respect to Senegal that they deserve. They have quality on both ends of the pitch as well. And if England doesn't put together a complete 90-minute performance, which I think is something that we have struggled to do, even against Iran, I think there was 10, 15 minutes where we didn't look very good. If you can't put together 90 minutes in the knockout stages, who knows what that 10, 15 minutes of not playing well can do to you.
2: That's one side of the bracket. The other one, USA-Netherlands and Australia and Argentina. Pack defense for Australia. Argentina is going to have to break that down. The Netherlands and U.S. We're going to dig into the scouting report when we come back on the Atlanta Soccer Tonight show tonight. You're going to take a look at the clockwork orange of the Netherlands. They've got a tried and trusted weapon that worries me a little bit. Find out who that is when we're back in five minutes on 92.9 The Game and the Odyssey app.